Good morning, church. It's good to see you, to be with you, to worship with you this morning. Just honored uh, to join us online. Uh, honored that you can join us in that way. But just know we miss you. We miss having you here with us. Um, we have made it to the, the second chapter of the story of Jonah um, after a, an appropriate uh, quick break last Sunday to honor our mothers. Um, we're stepping back into the story, and uh, we've made it to the part of the story that, that quite honestly, most of us are, are familiar with. This is the part that includes the fish, right? And so we think of Jonah, we think about a fish, and so we've made it to that part of the story. Um, I'm really excited to open this with you this morning and, and look at what God would speak to us, um, what he would speak to you specifically even through Jonah's experience, but just a couple things. One, um, what we're reading today for the most part is Jonah's psalm, uh, and that means that um, this is not a detailed chronological um, set of kind of descriptions of the events, though we're going to get some of that. Um, it's not a uh, scientific proof on how in the world does this work for a fish to swallow a human being for, for three days and spit that human being back out and then that human being be alive. Like That's not the point of what he's writing. It's important to understand that essentially what he's doing, he's He's expressing his heart like David did. This is a psalm, and this is after the fact, and he's looking back on that experience, and he's, he's describing what it was like to be in that moment, to be in the despair and the difficulty of that moment, uh, and he's also expressing more than anything his gratitude for something God did, okay? So that's what we're essentially, we're overhearing a, a poem or a song that Jonah wrote after the fact about the events that happened. Now, uh, just a couple of things to, to remind us of where we've been, some highlights from week one and week two. Week one, um, we talked about how um, Jonah was a known and successful prophet uh, in Israel when God came to him. This wasn't his first encounter with the Lord, not his first time to be given instructions from the Lord. Matter of fact, in the past, he had given prophecies to the nation of Israel um, that played out in their prosperity and the expansion of the boundaries. And so Jonah was the kind of prophet that, that people like. We like it when God speaks through Jonah. We don't like it when God speaks to these other guys because bad things happen, but we like it when God speaks through Jonah. However, God called him to do something incredibly uncomfortable that would put all that notoriety in jeopardy with the nation of Israel. And so instead of obeying the Lord as he had previously, he runs. So we see how disobeying the Lord immediately leads to shame. And then in Jonah's account in chapter 1, we talked about how what it looks like when shame begins to write the story. What, what's happening in Jonah's life is very familiar to the rest of us when we're in walking in disobedience to the Lord. We, we all want to run and hide. That's essentially what Jonah does. And we all will go to great extents oftentimes to, to hide from the Lord and to hide from others. Uh, the second week we came back and we looked at, and this will carry into today as well, the intensity of both God's sovereign hand, meaning um, God as the, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, also is active in the events, and he's active in the physics of what's happening in the universe, and we saw his sovereign hand, his powerful hand, making things happen, like making a storm come up, like Anybody else in the room, can you do that with your hands? Can you do that with your, no, we can't. And so we saw just the evidence of the sovereign power of God, but we also saw the intensity of his loving kindness. And we'll see that again today, having every reason to just completely dismiss Jonah and move on. He doesn't, he goes after Jonah. And he uses these things like storms to get Jonah's attention and call Jonah back to himself. 
And so today we're going to step into this psalm of thanksgiving, this psalm of both repentance and rescue, starting in verse 17 of chapter 1, which is the end of chapter 1, and then that'll set us up for the rest of chapter 2. So verse 17 says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And this was, this was what took place after uh, God had... Um, intervened with the sailors and the sailors were trying to figure out how, why is this happening to us whose fault is it they cast lots it fell on Jonah they're like Jonah tell us what you've done why is this happening to us and uh, and so ultimately they come to learn that Jonah is disobeying the Lord and and so they throw Jonah overboard uh, and then after throwing Jonah overboard um, the, the the storm calms down and these pagan sailors who um, you know, were, were spent the majority of their lives chasing after vain idols, became believers in the one true God. And so verse 17 is telling us, well, here's what happened to Jonah. We know what happened to the pagan sailors, but here's what happened to Jonah. He was swallowed by a large fish. Now, um, Jesus refers to this part of the story of Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. We referred to that a few weeks ago, and I just want to read a couple of verses just to remind us of what Jesus has to say about the events that we're talking about today. And in Matthew 12, just picking up in verse 40, uh, Jesus, uh, in response to the religious leaders who are asking for a sign, uh, he tells them uh, that he has come to bring the sign of Jonah. Verse 40, he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so that we know what he's referring to. He's referring to man, now he's speaking about himself, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he's speaking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The same way that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights, so too will the Son of Man be buried for three days. And so when we think of this chapter, Jesus wants us to think about the resurrection. He wants us to think about the tomb. He wants to think about even his own sacrificial death. And in Matthew 12, 41 says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And we pointed out, Jesus is referring to the story of Jonah, and now he's saying, but, but somebody better than Jonah is here. And he's referring to himself. While Jonah was a foreshadowing of the, what God would do in his goodness through Jesus, Jesus is saying, yeah, but I'm not just here to like be kind of like Jonah, I'm actually here as a better Jonah. What Jonah was pointing to um, was me. And so now we have that in mind as we read chapter 2. I think it's going to be helpful. And so we move on into verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 of this psalm from Jonah summarizes the events, and we kind of get to hear his heart in what's going on, like really in his heart, as he thinks about uh, these three days. And so verse 1 says of chapter 2 says that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you have heard my voice now that doesn't completely describe all the events it doesn't tell us what was going on in his mind for three days right like it doesn't tell us all the details of what was happening but if we but when Jonah thinks about that experience what he wants us to know is he wants to know who his God is so remember from chapter one and we'll see this again in a minute um, that the reference to God was the God 
Even when talking about Jonah's God, he was just the God, one of the gods from their perspective. And now, as Jonah thinks back, he's like, no, I want to tell you who my God is. And so now we get this description that this is his God, the Lord his God. And what he wants us to know about his God is this, that when you call, he answers. When you call, he answers. When you cry out, he hears your voice. Now, there's a whole lot of Jonah's story um, to think about here. Um, I called and he answered is not just a reference to God's ability to hear us, but it's more of a description of God's willingness to hear us. Even after saying no to God, even after running, even after hiding in the bottom of the ship, even after the lots fell out on me, even after being found out as a fraud and, a, and, and, and somebody who's running from God, I called, and he's still the kind of God who answers. He's not the kind of God who only answers when you get straight A's. When you perform well in your athletic event. When you score the touchdown, when you get it right. He's not the kind of God who, who only answers, moms, when, when you're doing a good job with your kids and you get everything done on time. Guys, he's not the kind of God who only answers when you show up 10 minutes early from work, stay 10 minutes late, get all the projects done ahead of time, and then get one extra done just so that you can show your boss you're really dedicated. He's the kind of God who answers when you fail at all that stuff. That's what Jonah's saying here. It's not just that he could answer, it's that he did. I called, he answered. I cried out in my distress. And guess what, guys? And he heard me. Like, isn't that amazing? And he heard me. God is the kind of God who listens and answers. God is the kind of God who isn't too busy. God is the kind of God who's not too arrogant or important to listen. He cares about what we have to say. He cares about your feelings. God cares about what you're going through. And listen, despite what you've been telling yourself, you aren't too much for him. You aren't. Your story, your circumstances aren't too much for him. Oh, but you don't know how long I've been doubting God. I don't. But I can tell you what, your doubt's not too much for God. Like, you don't know how long I've been wrestling with this moral failure. I've just been running like Jonah and like doing everything I can, just, just flat out disobedience to God. Like you don't know, you're right, I don't know. But I do know you're not too much for him. Your story is not too much for him. Your situation is not too much for him. And when you cry out, he answers. When you cry out, he hears. In verse three, uh, Jonah is going to kind of recount a little bit more of the details of what happened he starts in verse 3 for you cast me into the deep now what that's interesting because who actually cast him into the deep the sailors did they threw him overboard but that's not what he's saying is it that's interesting just make a note 
We'll come back to that. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Now he's describing like being at the surface, so he was treading water for a while. He's describing what that was like, and then he's going to describe what it seemed like to him as his body began to sink. Your flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life. Can you visualize Jonah just sinking now? He's quit treading water. He's given up, physically exhausted or emotionally just, just quit. Now he's beginning to sink. The deep surrounded me. Then he could begin to feel the weeds being wrapped around his body, his head. And it was like the roots of the, he was down at the roots of the mountains. Wherever the bottom of the mountains are, that's where I was. I was at the roots of the mountain and I went down to the land whose bars closed over me forever. He's beginning to experience the darkness of being really deep in the water and the pressure from the seas pushing in on him like steel bars and he's describing it like I feel like I'm at the bottom like where the, the, the wherever the roots of the mountain are that's where I am right now that's how Jonah's describing his experience and you notice here that God says Jonah or Jonah says to God you cast me into the deep and then did you notice whose waves uh, were splashing all around Jonah he says, your waves, your billows passed over me. So think about this. Jonah is writing a poem of thanksgiving. He's really thankful for whatever God does. And as he looks back at the difficulty and the torment and the suffering of that experience, he's not blaming Satan. He's not blaming the sailors. He's not blaming the broken, fallen world, though those elements may be in play here. He's primarily seeing that what's happening to him is the result of the hand of the Lord, and he's still thankful. He's seeing those as kind expressions of God's love towards him. It's almost like he's saying, thank you, God, for sending waves and billows to drown me. Why would you say that? It's you who cast me into the deep. It was your wave. It's all, like if we just read that out of context, it sounds like he's blaming God for something bad, yet he's not. He's expressing gratitude towards God. I love verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet <laughs> I shall what? Again, look upon your holy temple. Do you remember what Jonah was running from in chapter 1? It wasn't God's voice or God's people. It was God's presence. That's what shame was, was driving him away from. He did not want to be around the presence of God. And now here in, in the deepest moment of helplessness and despair, something clicks for him, and he would give anything to have what? The presence of the Lord. Like that's what the temple represents here. God's presence. Here in my lowest moment, 
I'm going to look again at your presence. I'm going to turn my face towards you. Now, there's still a sense of, yeah, but God, you're still not obligated to do anything with me. I'm going to turn my face towards you so that if I perish, if I die, if this is the end, which it looks like it is, at least my face will be turned back towards you. You've had my back, and now I'm going to, I'm now going to give you my face. I'm going to turn my face back to you, oh God. What we see here, I believe, is this igniting of faith. And it's going to become more explicit as we move forward. But in this moment, what happens for him in his shame is he's starting to believe something about God that he struggled to believe about God a day before, two days before, three days before, four days before. We don't know how long he's been running, but he's been running from the presence of God. Something ignites in him, convincing him that if I'll turn my face back towards God, whatever he gives to me will be enough. If he decides to punish me here and just say, you know what, Jonah, I think we're done. Like, I, I, I came to you, I brought a storm even thinking that would get your attention. I mean, it worked for these pagans who had never heard of me. It didn't work for you. Then we threatened to throw you overboard. That didn't get your attention. Like, God would have been just to go, you know what, Jonah, I'm going to move on. Next. Anybody else in Israel want to be my prophet because I'm done with Jonah? Next. But that isn't what God does here. The rest of verse 6 says this. Yet. You've got to hear the tone of that. Jonah's not just saying, this is, this is what God does and this is what I expected him to do. Jonah, in some ways, is caught off guard. He turns his face back towards the presence of God, and here's what God does. Yet you brought my life up from where? The pit. Oh, Lord, my God. You didn't have to. You didn't have to. Yet you did. And this expression of being brought up from the pit, also referred to here as Sheol. This idea of the grave. Like Jonah himself is now referring to this idea of having been as good as dead and now being resurrected. We begin to see, oh, that makes more sense why Jesus is referring to this going, yeah, that's a picture of my death, burial, and resurrection. And just what Jonah's saying, I was in the pit. Like I wasn't treading water anymore. Like I was not just sinking anymore. I made it all the way to the bottom. I think so many times, listen to this, Christian, this has been a, a mistake that I've made that I see being made in, in our lives, and we try to understand that, like, when we call out to God for help, we just need a little of his help. It's like we've fallen overboard, and we're still treading water. You say, like, just a hand, God, if I just, just, I mean, take the wheel, right? I almost got it, God, I just, for a, for a couple, could you help me, do, I mean, just a little, and Jonah's like, I was way past that. I was at the bottom. I'd given up on treading water a long time ago. And I was at the bottom. And that's when I cried out. Yet you brought my life 
from, or up, you brought up my life. You resurrected my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have owed you, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And we've already talked about how this is this picture of death, burial, and resurrection. We know Romans 6, among other places, talks about how those of us who put our faith in Christ, we've been resurrected with Christ. We know that baptism, this this beautiful outward symbol of this inward faith, which we're going to get to experience together here in just a little bit, is another expression of being, right, being in a place of despair, utter hopelessness. We don't baptize ourselves, we're, right, we're baptized by someone. We don't save ourselves, we're saved by someone. We're not treading water, needing a little nudge to make it back to safety. We're dead men floating. You see the despair in this? We begin to feel why Jonah's so stinking thankful. And he even says it. It's like he's, he's realizing, I almost missed out on this. I almost missed out. Like he has this expression, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love and in one way we go, oh, he's talking about the sailors because we know they went around and each prayed to their vain God, their vain idol, and it didn't work. But I think there's somewhat of an indictment towards Jonah while those guys were truly living out their pagan faith and reaching for these gods that don't exist, these gods who are mute and deaf and dumb and can't do anything to help. Jonah functionally was, was essentially worshiping the same way. He's running from God, believing what? God isn't good. God isn't kind. God has no patience for me. God's just chasing me like an angry bully wanting to beat me down. That's what he believed about God. And so he, in his own heart, had a false idea of God, was worshiping a false God. And what he's saying here is, I almost missed it. Missed what? Your steadfast love. I almost missed it. Almost missed it. Those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope. They give up their hope. They forfeit their hope for what? Steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I will worship you. Because why? Because salvation belongs to you, God. I want you to think about your own salvation for a moment. If you're here today and listening and you believe you are a Christian, like you believe you truly have been rescued, you cried out, God heard you, all who call on his name will be saved, I want you to think about your own experience with the Lord. And, and too many times we think about that as though we just needed a nudge. 
we were just treading water and and then I went to VBS and my VBS teacher said the right thing and so I was like oh yeah that'll help me keep treading water a little longer and and we don't recognize that when you have that perspective you're saying salvation belongs to me I saved myself I cried out to God I said the right prayer I did the right things and Jonah's like oh if you have that view of God you're worshiping a false god salvation belongs to the Lord whose salvation your salvation Jonah yes anybody else yes the rest of us listen church your salvation was not authored by you the only thing you brought to the table was a desperate plea for help all you brought to the table was hopelessness and despair and you cried out to the Lord and he answered And you almost missed it. You almost for, forfeited the opportunity to know the steadfast love of the Lord. This is so good. So we go back to that moment where Jonah's faith ignited. We don't get a lot of details of the conversation he was having with himself. What, how was he thinking through? But all we know is that something ignited in him and he remembered. What did he remember? Oh yeah, God is good. I've been giving God my back because I believe God wasn't good. That God was angry and vengeful, chasing me down, haunting me. And something clicked for him. And this is where I would say if you're here today and you aren't a believer you aren't a christian if you're listening you go that i have not had like something ignited for jonah he went god is good i'm gonna turn my face to him and instead of getting run over by the presence of the lord in anger and vengeance what what happened is he was rescued in loving kindness He says, I remembered the Lord. He didn't just awaken to the reality that God existed. Think about that. It wasn't like he went, oh yeah, I forgot. There's a God and he's real. He awakened to the true identity of who God is. Like it's not enough for you to say, I believe God exists. You can jump on the boat with these sailors. They all believed in their own God. They kind of just made him up. God doesn't, God doesn't want to be worshipped for anything other than who he truly is. And he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. For who? For you. For you. What's crazy about the story of Jonah is how we get so hung up on the fish part. It just baffles us, doesn't it? How can you explain this, like from a scientific, physics, biology perspective? I, I admit, it's pretty miraculous. But can I submit to you that we're only two chapters in and we've already seen eight miracles and the fish is just one? And, greater still, what the fish symbolizes is a miracle and an even greater miracle. 
Like if you're struggling to understand how does this work that there was a human being in the water, big fish, knew from God to swallow this human being but not eat and digest the human being and then spit it back up at just the right place. Like that baffles me. Then you are more baffled then by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just go over a few of the miracles that we've already seen here in the story of Jonah. I counted eight. Uh, the violent storm. Jonah 1.4 says that God caused that. He caused the violent storm. Uh, God caused the lot to fall on Jonah. God calmed the sea when Jonah was thrown overboard. God commanded the fish to swallow Jonah. God had the fish transport Jonah to safety. Listen to this. God awakened the hearts of the pagan sailors to his kindness and repentance. Who was expecting that in the story? God had the fish throw Jonah up on the dry land. And then here we see God melted the disobedient prophet's heart and called him back to himself. All miraculous. What is the purpose of all these miracles? What is the purpose of any miracles from God? This might be helpful for you. I think we see in our day and time a lot of distortion around the miraculous hand of God. Um, I choose to believe, and we as a church believe, that God still works in miraculous ways. His Holy Spirit is still present in dwelling those who believe, sealing us for the day of redemption, empowering us with spiritual gifts, working through us in miraculous ways. He still answers when we cry out. We believe those things. But when God works miraculously, there are really two things that have to be present. One, it's, it's glorifying him, nobody else, and it's furthering this story of redemption. God does not show up on stage to entertain us with magic tricks. So any person, human being, who's claiming a miracle from God that brings glory to them and not him and furthers their story and not his is not, in fact, working miraculously on behalf of God. There, I said it. And so while we do struggle to see miracles maybe in our everyday life, I'm telling you that we miss out on some of the most amazing things. We're still caught up with the magic, magic show and we want to see those things and we want to experience those things and we forget that when God shows up to do relationship with you tomorrow, it is a miracle. We all, in our own way, deserve what Jonah deserved. God could have stepped up to the boat and went, you know what, this whole thing's a mess. Next. Done with Jonah. Next. Do you ever feel like God might do that with you? Ah, never mind. It's too much of a mess. Like, I've untangled this for you so many times, and like, you're just going to keep getting it. No. Next. Like, tomorrow, I hope you wake up expecting a miracle the miracle of God's loving kindness and his presence in your life. And then go from there. And then pray for things. Cry out to God. Look for his miraculous hand in the, the big moments and even in the casting of lots, the small, fine-tuned details of your life. 
But don't overlook the miracle that seems to capture Jonah's heart. He's not looking back on this going, holy cow, a big fish? He's looking back on this moment going, holy cow, loving kindness and not anger and vengeance? Rescue and not leave me in the pit? That's what Jonah is overwhelmed with in this account. Let's do this. Let me just throw out some questions for us to think through, um, some application for each of us. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have the the worship team come back out and lead us. Um, Actually, we'll do baptism, and then they'll come out and lead us in singing. But let's just take time right now to let God's Word really settle on you right now. I really want you, if you haven't done that yet, let it settle on you. What are you saying to me, God? Here's some questions that maybe help you think about it. Are you isolating from God right now? Or maybe just all out running from Him? Are you isolating, hiding, or running from God right now? If so, in the most kind way that I can say it, I want to say to you, I think you're chasing after a false idol. I think you have a false view of who God is. I'm not questioning His justice. God is just. However, he's promised to be kind. He's perfectly within the the realm of his character and justice to pour out wrath, to pour out punishment, to pour out death. However, in his kindness, he's chosen not to. And he's promised what? Steadfast love. So just something to think about there. As we said, it's this miraculous expression of his kindness when he graciously stops us in our tracks and awakens our hearts to who who he truly is. I believe he's doing that today. Somebody here, maybe all of us here, are being stopped in our tracks. Take some inventory on who we believe God is. Is the Lord stopping you in your tracks today? Something stirring inside of you. You didn't want to come today and you came anyway. You tried not to come. And you just found yourself here. And you're like, well, here I am. Maybe something God's spoken through his words just got you stopped right now. And you're like, oh, I, need to, I need to think. Is God stopping you in your tracks today? Have you, like Jonah, forgotten that the Lord is slow to anger? Abounding in steadfast love. Is God refreshing that for you today? Hey, remember who I am. Don't run from me. Like, run to me. And that's my last question is, will you run to God today? Will you turn your face back towards his presence instead of running from him? Whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or you have never prayed a prayer ever. Will you turn your face to God today? I'm going to pray over us now, and then uh, we'll transition to a time of baptism. And, uh, and then after that, we'll have some space to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, God, this powerful message from your word. Um, God, we just, page after page, line after line, God, you're opening our eyes to see you more clearly. God, you're allowing us to, to see ourselves more clearly. 
Father, it's easy to look at Jonah and see him as a coward or see him as disobedient and, 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 and just someone who doesn't get it. But in reality, Father, in Jonah, we see a reflection of ourselves. Father, every person in this room knows what it's like to run in disobedience, to hide in shame, to isolate ourselves from you. And so today, my prayer, God, is that through your word, uh, through our worship, singing, God, even through baptism, God, you would call us to turn our face towards you today. And that, God, we would cry out to you, God, that you might answer us. Salvation belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.